All right, good morning. We're going to start off today uh, talking about um, a village in Colombia where there was a young pastor. Uh, it had a little encounter with a nun. And here's what happened. Uh, he was there with a group of people talking about Jesus, uh, walking through this little village. And uh, he was with a translator and somebody from a church there. And they see two nuns walking down the street. And so he's like, hey, let's go talk to them. And, and his translator's like, why? Why would we go talk to them? Why would we do that? Because the whole week they'd been going from house to house. And uh, many of the houses had this little sign uh, in the window that said, uh, we are Catholic and we will always be Catholic. In other words, don't come talk to us. <laughs> don't knock. And so as they were walking through this village and see this, see this nun, uh, these two nuns walking, uh, they, uh, the translator was scared. And he's like, well, let's go do it. Young pastors, they think they can do all things. And so they go up and they, they, they start talking to these nuns. And they've been using a, a, a tool to share the gospel and tell the story. And they show them this little storytelling tool. And the nuns are really intrigued by it. And they think that's pretty cool. And they enter into talking about the very passage that we're going to talk about this weekend in Ephesians 2. And if you've been around church, if you haven't been, it may not be familiar, but if you have been, it's probably pretty familiar. It's a, it's a passage that, that pastors like to go to in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, where it says, For by grace you've been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. And they, and they share the gospel, and they share that, that God wants to offer you life. And then the, one of the nuns finishes with the next verse. She goes on to Ephesians 2.10 and says, yeah, because we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works that he's prepared beforehand that we would do them. And that pastor was stumped. Yeah, but it's not about good works. It's about having faith in Jesus. And, and she would argue back. Yeah, it's about having faith in Jesus so we would do good works. And so I left that day stumped. <laughs> and, and here I am going, oh. And, and I'll tell you what, like, that was more than 15 years ago. And, and I have been adamant ever since that we cannot separate Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 from Ephesians 2, 10. Because why? We rob people of the whole gospel when we do it. We rob people of the truth. And here's, here's why we do it. We are so afraid that people would hear that they're saved by works. We flee from the whole truth. We tell them, hey, you're saved by God and nothing that you do can earn salvation. And that's absolutely true. And then we leave out the other half of the gospel because God saved you to do stuff. That's the whole gospel. God gave you life so that you would do the stuff that he has for you to do. And when I say you, I'm saying y'all. God saved y'all, nothing that y'all did, so that y'all would get to work and do stuff. What stuff? The stuff he has for y'all to do. That's Ephesians 2.10. So as we continue in our series in Ephesians, we got to go back. And, and every week we need to remember that, that as Paul's writing to saints, um, that's a troubling word for us. And we have to remind ourselves, we have to be very intentional and remind ourselves that, that the English word does not accurately represent what the text is saying here. It's talking about saints being holy people. Holy people is probably not much more helpful. What we've been talking about is that, that we are God's valuable personal property. 
treasured possession. Remember that? But I don't, I don't really connect with treasured possession. I don't think of it like it. You talk about valuable personal property and all of a sudden I'm going, oh, the stuff that I've insured on my home insurance with an addendum. Those things. Oh, those things that, that I want to make sure that, that if they get lost or stolen, that I'm, I'm reimbursed for. Those super valuable things. So, so we, as God's people, have been created to be God's valuable personal property. And God's not losing valuable personal property. He's holding on to it. So this weekend, as we walk away, here, here's, here's the big idea. We are alive to do the stuff Jesus has for us to do. We, God's people, God's valuable personal property, all of those who are in a Christ, we are alive to do the stuff Jesus has for us to do. And that means, yes, you're alive to do the stuff Jesus has for you to do. But, it, but Ephesians 2.10 is bigger than that. It's we collectively as God's people are alive to do the stuff he has for us to do. He has us stuff for, for we to do together. And what we do is we so get lost in the weeds that we think that Ephesians 2.10 is about me, my, and what I have, and God has a plan for my life. Now, that's true, okay? I'm not saying that's not true. Just don't argue it from Ephesians 2.10. Because that's saying God created the people of God to do the stuff that he has for the people of God to do. And, and in the expression today is in something called local churches, local communities of faith that God has created, that we would join together and walk the path that he's prepared for us to walk. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to go through Ephesians chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. And what I'm going to ask you to do along the way, I'm going to ask you to underline some words in, in your copy of the scriptures. And then what we're going to go back, we're going to read just the underlined words. And what you will have, whether or not you're using a journal or a, a, a Bible, what you will have is a, a forever reminder that if you want to sum up these 10 verses in, in, in a more simplified way, you will forever have the gist of the passage. Okay, so here we go. And you were dead. There's the first one. You were dead, and if, you're, if you want an A, write y'all above the U, okay? You all were dead, and you were dead, underline you were dead, in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by, were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. But God, underline the but God. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. Underline, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that, okay, there's a key phrase as you're reading the scriptures, when you hear a so that or because or therefore, start paying attention. Now you get the reason, so that. So you're going to start underlining it, so that, so that in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. Underline that whole phrase, 
It's the so that. (laughs) That's the purpose. For by grace, you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are, underline the we are, his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. Underline the created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Now, if we just read the underlines, here's the point. You were dead, but God made us alive together with Christ so that in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. We are created in Christ Jesus for good works. That for there says the purpose. That, that's what that for means. It's, there's a purpose behind the God's saving activity. And that is y'all would be the people of God doing the stuff God has for you to do. Y'all together. And that means that you personally have to buy in. I mean, there's a very personal aspect to y'all. There's not an us if I don't see myself as part of us. But there's a compelling thing here that we would recognize that it's we, we as God's people are alive to do the stuff that Jesus has for us to do. So it begins with, as we walk back through this passage, it begins with who we were. We were dead people walking. Paul really wants us to understand the nature of the problem that we all had, that there was a time when, when we were dead people walking. It, it, the, the modern way you might think of it is uh, zombies. I personally hate zombie shows. I'm not really into zombie shows. Some of you may dig zombie shows. But, but zombie shows are all about dead people walking. And, and Paul is telling us that that is all of humanity. All of humanity are born people who are physically alive and yet spiritually dead That means all of humanity are born as dead people walking. What we're talking about when we say that people are spiritually dead but physically alive, right? I want to use this uh, from Grant Osborne. He says, spiritual death is a total separation or alienation from God, and the spiritually dead are the enemies of God. Paul says, by nature, you were children of wrath. Humanity says, by nature, we're all children of God. By nature, we're all image bearers of God. And that means all of humanity is valuable in God's sight because we were created in the image of God and we're supposed to be image bearers of God as we walk through this life. But Paul is like, you weren't all children of God. You were born spiritually dead under the wrath of God, which means you were children of wrath like all of humanity. That is the spiritual state. So, so what ends up happening is, is people end up asking the wrong question. Have you ever heard there's no such thing as a bad question? Does anybody actually believe that's true? Has anybody been in a classroom where somebody asked a bad question? Yeah, there's bad questions, okay? So I'm not saying this question is the bad question. I'm just saying it's the wrong question. Most people are asking the question, am I good enough? In fact, even the way often that people are taught to share the gospel, it begins with this question that indicates it's about being good enough. So that if you were to die, and I'm not saying this is, this is a bad question, and it can actually be a very effective te- technique. But if you were to die and you were to say, um, and God were to say to you, why should I let you into heaven? Not going to happen that way. But let's say it happened that way. What would you say? 
And, and yep, yeah, good answer over there. Jesus, yeah, you, you ruined my story, man. It's the only thing we can say. Yes, that is the answer on the test. The only thing you can say is Jesus, but most people say, well, I think I'm a, I think I'm a pretty good person. And here's the truth. You could be a great person. I know some people who are spiritually dead that are really great people. I had a friend in my life that, that, that he did not know Jesus, and, and we would talk about spiritual things, and, and I was not on the path at that phase of my life. And he would say, Dave, why do I need Jesus? I'm a better person than you are, and he was dead right. But at that time, I didn't understand it was the wrong question. The right question is, am I alive? Not am I a good or bad person. And in fact, those, those of us who, who wrestle with, am I good enough and could God love me and whatever, you're asking the wrong question. Of course you're not good enough. Nobody's good enough. It's irrelevant how good we are. Totally irrelevant. It's the wrong question. It's am I alive? Am I alive? That's the question. And that takes a supernatural act of God. To, to go from death to life takes a supernatural act of God. And so we have to switch the conversation from bad good to are you alive? This weekend, uh, our um, elders and lead team got away and, and it's time to, to pray and to talk and to talk about what's next in the life of Two Rivers Church as we set a path uh, forward in our vision um, in, in real practical ways. And during that time, we, we prayed for you and we prayed through Ephesians 2, 1 through 10 and Two Rivers Church. We're praying that we would see people through this lens, the, the Ephesians 2 lens, which is it's not about whether or not people are good or bad. It's about whether or not people see themselves as dead or alive, that we would begin to see the world through that lens, that, that there's good people and bad people, and that's irrelevant. The real important thing is that we would see that there's people who are spiritually alive and people who are spiritually separated from God forever in, in the current state, which means they are, do not believe in Jesus, they've not been given new life in Christ, and that means they are spiritually dead. And when we see the world through that lens, here's what's happened. We don't have to expect that spiritually dead people would act like they have spiritual life. There's nothing, if I view the world through this lens, I'm telling you what, I am absolutely trying to convince myself of this truth because this does not come natural, okay? I, I'm as judgmental as any of you. I look at the world through a lens of judgment just like you do, but, but I have to intentionally remind myself to put on my Ephesians 2 glasses and remind myself that you were once dead in the trespass and sins you once walked in, and so you should not be surprised of anything somebody who's spiritually dead does. Now, spirit, people who are spiritually alive, that's a whole different conversation that we'll have later on in Ephesians. All right? We're supposed to hold each other accountable to all kinds of stuff. But for people who don't have spiritual life, to act like they don't have spiritual life is normal. So there's not a thought, an idea, a belief that's out there that should surprise us or, I'm going to go further, offend us. And yet we're known for being easily offended because people have a different view, a different thought. A different... Guess what? If they don't know Jesus, they do not have spiritual life. They may be into spiritual things, 
But that does not mean they have spiritual life. Only those who have life in Christ are spiritually alive. And the other part of this, this is something one of our elders prayed, and man, I I thought it was dead on, that, that people would stop seeing their story as not as significant as somebody else's story. That they would see that their story of coming to faith is a supernatural story no matter who they were before. Because some people have incredible stories. They, they were saved out of addiction. They were saved out of a, a very public kind of bondage that, that people would go, wow, I was a bad person. Jesus saved me and I became a good person. But you know what? Many of our stories were, I was a pretty good person and Jesus saved me and now I'm a pretty good person. Because that, that's irrelevant, we all have the same story. Do you know that we all have the same story? And some of you are like, no, my story is my story. No, it's better. It's better. Two Rivers Church that we would all know that our story is this. I was dead, but now I'm alive. That's our story. That's your story. That's my story. For all of those who are in Christ, I was dead and now I'm alive. And he went on to say, man, imagine starting a conversation with that. And you have somebody like, hey, what's your story? I was a dead person, but now I'm alive. Ooh, Tell me more about that. What's that about? Our story is one of an already but not yet resurrection. And that's the, the contrast that, that Paul is, is, is putting here. When, when we have to look back up at the end of chapter one, you have to remember to last week that we were talking about that, that God took Christ and he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand. That means he was put in the place of all authority. He was raised to life, put in the place of all authority, and and that now everything has been put under his power and authority, that that everything that exists in the spiritual realm and the physical realm is under the authority of Christ. And then now in in this chapter, as we come down a little bit further, he said, and you too. He did the same thing for you. What he did for Christ, he took you and put you in the same place. Well, what are you talking about? What we're talking about here is, is that the spiritual realm is real. And it's really important that we know that the spiritual realm is just as real as the physical realm. There's a common thread that's running through Paul's letter to the church in Ephesus that requires that we buy into the reality of the spiritual realm. He doesn't wait until the end. For those of you who've been playing along at home, you've been listening to the whole letter, it's really obvious when he comes to the end of the letter in chapter six, when, when he talks about the, that we do not battle against flesh and blood, but the spiritual forces in the heavenly places. Like that's real clear. But, but from the beginning, as he's talked about what our blessings or where our blessings are received, he says it's in the spiritual realm. The spiritual realm is just as real as the physical realm. In fact, maybe Paul argued to the church in Corinth that it was more real when he wrote, so we do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day, for this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison, as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen, for the things that are seen are transient. They're temporary. But the things that are unseen are eternal. So think of this. 
If you have life in Christ, you've been spiritually resurrected. Someday in the future, you will be physically resurrected. And so your, your resurrection is in process. It's already began and it will be completed when you're physically re- resurrected at that day in the future when all those people who are in Christ are resurrected at the same time. And if you have questions about that, go back and watch uh, all the sermons in December. That's our story, Okay. Don't have time to cover all that all again. Go back to December, watch your way through that. But think of this. You will never be more spiritually alive than you are today. You're either spiritually alive or you're spiritually dead. And so if you are in Christ, you are spiritually alive. You'll be physically alive forever in a physically resurrected body. Yes, that's gonna happen in the future. But right now today, we are alive in Christ We are alive in Christ. For everyone who has new life in Christ, this is our story. I was dead, but now I am alive. So Paul wants us to know that we know that it's God who has made us alive in Christ. He wants us to have no doubt. He wants us to know that we know that there's nothing that you did that that made that happen. And it's just like the, the reflection would be, your physical birth, you played no part, right? (laughs) You didn't do anything, right? You had no role in your physical birth. And you know what you can tie it to? Paul was drawing an analogy to our spiritual birth. And many of you are like, yeah, but I had to come to faith. No, he wants you to know that you know. The reason that you have faith is because God gave it to you. And now there's a whole discussion we can have another day, another time about how all that, all that works. But Paul wants you to know that you know the reason that you have faith is because God gave it to you. It is a gift. The, 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 the ability even to believe is given to you as a gift from God. I don't know if you can tell, but Paul has a pretty high view of God. His view of God is like really high. Even to say, you didn't even have the power to believe on your own. God gave it to you. He gave you faith. He gave you everything that you would need in order that you would put your faith in Christ. And why? Why did he do it? It says God's love because the, the love with which he loved us. God's love is central to our story, and it compels us to love each other. And we're going to talk more about that. Paul draws this this incredible, um, these two parentheses with the prayer that left off last week, with the prayer that's the end of chapter 3, where where last week it was all about that we would would know and experience who Jesus is through, through power and authority, that we would live in that place. And then he's going to come back at the end of chapter three and be like, because you would experience the love of Christ. Like you would know it. You would know it that you know it. And so I'm not saying love is important. I'm saying love compels us to love each other because we are God's people because he loved us, not because of anything we've done, but because of who he is. So this has always been um, the story of God's people. Moses, as he was talking to the children of Israel in Deuteronomy chapter 7, he said, for you are a people holy to the Lord your God. You're a people who are set apart. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people 
for his treasured possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. It was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you, for you were the fewest of all peoples. But it is because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath that he swore to your fathers. Paul wants his readers to, to connect the dots and to see, it's going to be really important next week, that, that we would connect the dots, that, 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 that God's story was first about the children of Israel. It was first about the Jewish people, but now it includes both the Jewish people and the non-Jewish people called Gentiles. And now he's saying, you are now one people. You are the people of God. And we're going to talk about next week, a little cliffhanger to get you to come back, is saying, okay, we're going to talk about that God doesn't calling Jewish people to convert to Christianity. That's a little nugget. I'm going to leave you confused in that. He's calling all of us to be people who are followers of Christ and that we have unity. Why? Because we're in Christ. And, and it's because of the great love with which God loves us. That he's opened our eyes and taken us from death to life. And then it's, it says, why? Why did he do it? Because God had a purpose in all of it. And that is in verse 7. So that in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. And if you take Ephesians 2 and you go from verse 1 through verse 10. We're going to do something really cool here in a second. But, but if we look at all that and you were to say, why? What's the why behind what God did? If, if somebody were to ask you, why did God save you? How many of us would go to this verse and go, that's the why? We, we come up with other stuff. Other stuff that puts us at the center of God's story. It's so that... And we're going to see this later on in, in this letter, so that forever God would be glorified because he's demonstrated his kindness towards God's people through Christ. It's a God reason. I know, I know that if you don't know who God is, that it could seem like he's, God is really into God. And the reason it seems like that is he is. And that's not bad. Only God can, can do that and not be a narcissist. But in Paul's view of God, he has a very high view of God. And he's saying, even God saved you so that forever you'd be a people glorifying him and that today you do the stuff he saved you to do. He did it for the children of Israel in the Old Testament. He's doing it for the people of God in the New Testament. And we can't allow fear to keep us from the whole truth. In other words, that people might mistake that somehow, some way, I'm trusting the stuff that I've done to save me. And here's just the flat out truth. If you think that you're a follower of Christ because of stuff that you have done, you are not a follower of Christ. You're just not. The only way that we can have new life in Christ is by saying, I'm nothing. I I trust that you're everything. When we get asked, the question that's never going to happen, why should I let you into heaven? It, it, the answer really is just Jesus. Jesus, that's why. Jesus. All my trust. All my hope. God, I believed you. You said Jesus, and I, I put all my weight on him. And then I did the stuff that you had for me to do. He's going to be like, yeah, good job. But not, 
I'm letting you in because you did the stuff that I had for you to do. It doesn't work like that. It's I trusted you. I trusted that it was Jesus and I joined you. I was in the family. I was connected forever to Christ and we together joined together to do the stuff you had for us. And it was amazing. It was an incredible ride. Wasn't it great? And you'd be like, yeah, it was awesome. Man, I want that to be my story. I want that to be our story. That can be our story. So what? Okay, so God saved us. And 2.10 really is the so what. Verse 7 is the why. Verse 10 is the so what. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. This is connected. This is one whole. That, that he saved us not because of anything that we've done, but he saved us so that we would be his people. And, and that for we are his workmanship. Those of us who are familiar with Ephesians 2.10, we really have to hold that, that, that it's we Collectively, he's saying the people of God, local church, the, the, the local churches, the church universal really is what's being said here. But, but, but local churches, like we together, he's writing to a church. He's saying that, that, that you are, we are together. We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. We've been given a new identity by Jesus to do what he's prepared for us to do. That's why you have a new identity in Christ. That's the why. That's the so what, I mean. It's not the, that you would be a person who walks that out. Now, there's a really cool contrast. And that is, as it begins at the beginning of, of chapter 2, he says, you once walked in the pattern of this world. But now you walk in the stuff I have for you to do. And everything that he says is framed between these passages of walking. And that means that we would actually do it. He's talking about walking a path. That's the language that's used. That we would, we once walked in sin. Now you walk in the good works that Jesus prepared for you to do. There's a contrast. This is who you were, but this is who you are now. You once followed the course of the pattern of this world. You now follow Jesus this verse has everything to, uh, to do with us being a new creation in Christ. And so there's, there's a word um, at the beginning here of, of 2.10. It, it says, for we are his workmanship. There's a word, workmanship. The only reason I know that word is I've taught this uh, Ephesians 2.10 for like 15 years. I have no idea apart from Ephesians 2.10, what is workmanship? Because I don't use that word in my language. You might use it in your workspace. I never use this in my workplace. I never talked about workmanship. So what in the world is workmanship? So I went to the Dave Grun translation um, <laughs> and went back to, okay, let me go back to back to my school days and look at what that is. And, and it's like, okay, why did we make it more complicated than what the word really means? It means creation. It's actually the, the original language in, in Greek. It's, there's a Greek Old Testament called the Septuagint that Paul would have had. He, he would have read the Old Testament in Greek. He may have read it in Hebrew as well, but there's no doubt that he was a Greek speaker and he could have read the Old Testament in Greek. And the word used for God's creative stuff in 
The Greek Old Testament is the same word that gets translated here by workmanship. If you have an NIV, they say handiwork. And I think they just don't want to double down on the word creation, but it literally is. If you want to go literal translation, for you are God's creation created in Christ Jesus. Y'all are God's creation created in Christ Jesus. That y'all have been created, and now it harkens back to Genesis and, and what was the first man and the first woman? This is God's first act of the new creation. The new creation isn't just something that's going to happen in, for, in the future with a recreated heaven and earth, with a new heaven and new earth. God's act of recreation has already begun with those who have new life in Christ the first man, the first woman, Adam and Eve, they were created to walk a path. And they broke that. And now that path has been reestablished through Christ. And you are now God's recreation, that you are God's creation, that you would walk the path as the image bearers of God that Adam and Eve were, were made to walk. And, and as we talk about being image bearers of God, many of you may have already drawn this, that we were made to reflect the image of God. How do we say that today? You were made to be like Christ. That's a reestablishment of the original purpose of humanity that we would be image bearers of God. Today, it's how. How do we become image bearers of God? We reflect Christ into the world. It's a complete loop. Isn't that so cool? Some of you are like, I don't get it, Dave. Man, I, I was like, my mind's blown. The image of God, this is what Osborne writes, the image of God in us has come full circle, and in Christ, we return to the goal of the original creation, to be like him that we would be image bearers of God. So don't allow the fear of legalism, the, the fear of, of, of people misunderstanding the gospel and thinking that they can work their way to God to keep you from presenting the whole truth, that God saved you in order that you would join in his collective whole, the church, that we would be the people of God doing the stuff that he has for us to do. Whatever that expression of the church looks like, that together we would do it. This week, as you dig into Ephesians, I want to encourage you that as you dig into the live it out, there's, there's some guidelines as we keep reading Ephesians together. And this has everything to do with us coming to the, to the end of the week and listening to the letter or reading the letter in its entirety, that we would remember that, that it's important that we remember the whole as we break down the collective parts. So remember the whole as we break down the heart parts and look for how the parts connect. If you've not yet listened to the whole letter, I want to encourage you this week, listen to the whole letter or read the whole letter and then keep doing it. Don't give up. You may have done it. You're like, man, I've done it so much, man. I can, I can say it. Keep going. That's the point, that you would be that familiar so that when you come on the weekend and, and we're like, oh, yeah, remember like ahead. And the reason I'm doing that is, guys, there's an expectation that you would actually be joining in. Remember way back when we're like, okay, hey, we're going to look at Revelation. It's going to be big picture. We're going to take it to the big picture. We want you to understand the big picture. And I still stick by understand Revelation at the big picture. Because if you want to dig in the weeds, that's a couple years. I'm not exaggerating. 
I'm digging in the weeds right now on it. I'm in chapter two. It's been a month. Not this book. We said we want you to be ninjas. Why? This is the Christian life. Ephesians is the Christian life. There's not a corrective in this book. It's saying, this is who you are, so then how shall you live? And so it's a book that we should know that we know. We should know that we know that we know. Why? Because we got to live this book. We got to live it out. That we would be a people who put it into motion. And so we've, we've talked about that we need to be listening to the whole. And as you listen to the whole, listen to these key themes Unity that we have in Christ, Christ's victory, and living in light of these two realities. Listen for that. Listen for that theme, those themes that are running through this whole letter. Listen for the, the spiritual reality, the spiritual realm that runs from the beginning to the end of this letter. It's really important that we would be people who buy in, even though I don't maybe fully understand it, that the spiritual realm is just as real or more real than the physical realm. It's going to matter. It's going to matter. So what do you do? Here's, here's, here's what we want you to do. We want you to do the live it out. And here's why. We, we've kind of switched the live it out. For, for a couple of years, the live it out was a group's tool that you could also use individually. And we told you a couple of weeks ago, we flipped that on its head. It's now a personal discipleship tool that groups can use. And for, in your mind, you're like, what's the difference? In my mind, there's a world of difference. It's, it's radically different. And here's why. Because it's something that we're asking us to do. And that means if there's another us, if there's another person who goes to Two Rivers, another person who's part of us, that we should be able to ask questions like, what did God show you and live it out today? Some of you are like, you guys got nervous. <laughs> what? Somebody might ask you that question. We should ask each other that question. I really believe that. We should ask each other those kinds of questions. Why? It's an us. If, if us are going on a journey together, shouldn't we be able to talk about what God is teaching us together? That, that should just be normal. That, that's just a normal part of following Jesus with other people who are following Jesus. So, so that's a normal part that we would be saying day in, day out. And, and it's not complicated. It's something that we believe is simply daily and doable. It's something you can all do. Like Wednesday, this week, on Wednesday, we're going to ask you to listen to Paul's letter to a guy by the name of Titus. It doesn't take six minutes to listen to that entire letter. In under six minutes, you can listen to the entire letter. And then the question is going to be around, how do you hear the same themes in this letter that you see in this letter to the church in Ephesus? How do you see that, that, that this is emphasizing what, what Paul wrote to, to the churches in that region? And you begin to connect the dots that this isn't a story in isolation. This is God's story. And then that we would begin to, to, to step into the things that God has for us to do. And as you think about the good works, uh, something that came to my mind, and it was actually just this morning, like well, often when we think of good works, we think of just, well, the good works, it's the churchy stuff, and it's probably the stuff I don't want to do. Those are the good works. The stuff I'm actually wired for and enjoy doing, God couldn't possibly want me to do those things. And that's wrong thinking. Expand your box. Make it bigger. What are the good works? It's all the things that God has prepared for us to do. And that means the stuff in your workplace. He's prepared for you to be an incredible boss. He's prepared you to be an incredible employee. 
that in your workplace, you'd walk in the steps that he's prepared for you to walk in. He's prepared you to be an incredible teacher. Students, he's prepared you to be an incredible student. In fact, if you're, if you're a student and you know your teacher's a Christian, an incredible thing for you to be to do is to say, hey, I want you to hold me accountable to actually looking like I follow Jesus. That would be incredible. Instead of hiding and thinking, okay, I just got to be like a follower of Jesus. And we, like, like, think bigger than just, it's, it's the stuff that I don't want to do, like this thing called Surf Saturday, where I have to go do this thing because the church says I got to do it. It's not less than that, right? It's not less than that, but it's more than that. It's, it's the stuff that he's made for us to do together to glorify him. And so is it the stuff in your workplace? Yeah. Is it the stuff in, in your church fellowship community? Yeah, it's that stuff too. He's prepared stuff that we would walk in it. And so we're asking you to sign up for Serve Saturday because it's a tool to help us live out a lifestyle of serving people. It's, it's just a bridge. The goal is not Serve Saturday. It's, it's to get us to be a people who are serving together in the community. We do things like quiet waters. Why? That we would be a people who actively seek God together. That's our vision. We, we, it's stated in our vision. We will be a people who actively seek God together. That why do we come together? Because one of the good works isn't just the stuff that we do for people who don't know Jesus yet. One of the good works we do is we're a people who glorify God. We join together in worship to glorify a God who's made us to join together in worship. And then that you would actually engage in the, in the live it out and begin to have those conversations with other people. One of the things that he's created us to do together is to celebrate who he is and the gospel. And the way that we're going to do that to, today together, all of our campuses, all our venues, is we're going to celebrate the good news of the gospel through something called communion. And so in all of our venues, your, your venue pastor is going to come and I'm going to pray for us as we, as we remember the truth of the gospel by celebrating together this good news that Jesus has given us life, that we were once dead, but we're now alive in Christ. God, we're grateful for this physical reminder of the spiritual reality of our story connected forever with Jesus, that we were once dead in our sin, but now you've made us alive together with Christ. We're so grateful in Jesus' name. Amen.